Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And we have two very special uh, guests today. Um, Jennifer Tam, co-founder of the nonprofit Welcome to Chinatown. And Hong Mai, the finance bro who manages <laughs> all the money for the organization. So I'm super impressed by what you guys are doing. You guys built this from the ground up and you raised over $140,000 for struggling businesses in Chinatown. That's yeah. amazing. We're actually almost at nearly half a million dollars in fundraising. Half a million? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So what I'm looking at is the wrong numbers. (laughs) (laughs) It it might have been just for one of the art initiatives. Just let me save you a little bit. Okay, that's okay. All right. So (laughs) uh, how many or what type of initiatives does the program, the nonprofit, encompass? Yeah, so... I can give a little bit of context about yeah. what Welcome to Chinatown is, um, just to start us off. Um, we started, uh, my co-founder, Victoria Lee, and I, we co-founded, um, we started Welcome to Chinatown back in March. Um, we're two Chinatown residents, have lived here for the last 10 years, almost the last 10 years. Um, and it was pretty immediate to us, the impact that xenophobia and then COVID had on the neighborhood. Um and from there, we were just brainstorming ideas about ways we could give back to the neighborhood. And thus, Welcome to Chinatown was born. And our, our mission is to help small businesses within the neighborhood try to get through these crazy times. Um, and we do this by way of what we think are some pretty cool initiatives um, that look a little different. But one of the th- things that got us started was our Feed Our Heroes uh, meal donation program, which is probably where the 140 came from. I think that was yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that was the yeah. GoFundMe. I was checking. I'll, I'll look at the finance bro to <laughs> confirm <laughs> that that is correct. <laughs> and uh, and that initiative was the one where we were literally coordinating meals between the Chinatown businesses and receiving um, and between the sorry the frontline workers and the essential businesses and our um, and the Chinatown businesses and. That one was that one got us a lot of attention, I think, yeah. just because of the numbers we were doing. Yeah. And I think at first it was only like five five or six volunteers, yeah. myself included. They pulled me in. I was doing some of the deliveries on the weekends actually. So <laughs> wow. I yeah, so I know the New York hospital system very well now, guys. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so that that one we raised about one hundred seventy five thousand with one hundred fifty six thousand going directly back to the businesses. Yeah. Um, the rest were kind of the delivery expenses and everything like that. But that was a that was a great initiative that ended back in July. Yep. Oh, wow. How about the other initiatives that you have planned? Yeah. So, you know, I think Welcome to Chinatown is unique in that. um, So for a little bit of context, neither none of us are from nonprofit backgrounds. Most of us um, have grown up in kind of corporate America settings. Um, I work at Foursquare. I head up their communications. Uh, I'm a senior manager at Ernst & Young doing you say that so like bashfully. You can be proud. Yeah, she said it so fast. You, you could almost you miss it. <laughs> I heard I'm a senior manager. Yeah, you use the technical technical terms. Yeah, too many technical yeah. terms. Yeah. Um, and then Vic, she um, oversees global corporate travel at Estee Lauder companies. So we all come from different professional backgrounds. Um, we are really fortunate that a couple of our volunteers do work in the nonprofit space that have been really been able to help us set up our foundation but for the most part we're just taking what we know um, through our work experiences and trying to apply it in for a small business setting and so through that you know I think I would say our core competencies if you will is um, 
marketing with uh, just really wanting to amplify the voices of small business owners and small business workers, um, the stories that come from within the neighborhood um, that are so fascinating and complex. Um, And then the other part of it is through these initiatives where we're looking at ways to engage a wider audience. So inviting people to understand Chinatown the way that we understand it as residents and as Asian Americans. Um, and so, you know, we've done that through things like Greens for Good, which was putting together produce bags for our senior community. You guys know, like Chinatown has a huge senior population and yeah. they were really left behind um, as people start to shelter in place, especially for those that required like home assistance and things like that. Right. Um, we have a made in Chinatown merchandise collection where, uh, we have a team of pro bono designers who are giving, you know, free services to design merchandise collections for businesses within the neighborhood and all those, um, proceeds, all the profit goes to the business. Um, and some of the merchandise there also has been really picked up by the press and we've gone recently for the holiday guides. We've been doing what infatuation, I think timeout eater, uh, GQ. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is like all new territory for these businesses, but it's critical at this time, right? Because otherwise, how are people going to know what has happened in Chinatown and the impact that it's, you know, been facing since January of this year? Yeah. So our head of creative, um, Harry Trend, he, he's great. And he's been managing, like Jen said, a group of designers making this merchandise. And that's really given kind of another life another rebranding almost to some of these businesses Mm -hmm. um and all the profits from um the merchandise sales go directly back into the business so it's like a different revenue stream for them almost um and it's it's just another way of connecting with a different audience than they might have already so that's probably one of our that initiative has been started since uh may i think and it's been ongoing since Mm -hmm. um and still going now that's incredible like getting so many people from different backgrounds in corporate to apply those skills Mm -hmm. into something to help the community like is everyone here in new york city or is it different parts of of the u.s that that they're lending their skills primarily based in new york city but we do have um, volunteers out in the west coast in los angeles volunteers in chicago but they are people that have a strong connection to chinatown whether they grew up in the neighborhood themselves and have since moved away or chinatown for them represents so much of like their identity and their like pockets in the neighborhood that like really speak to their identity and they want to give back and i think that was a big reason why we started we felt we didn't know we knew we wanted to help we didn't know how to help and so thus we felt helpless but then mm-hmm. um i don't know we just like kind of got a group of friends together and we were like okay what do we do all right i guess i'll just like use the skills that i know at work and try to like communicate that um to tell the story about chinatown which is like my professional background for vic she's so good at um, event management, operations, and logistics. So she put together that entire program for Feed Our Heroes. Harry created this beautiful brand that represents Chinatown and is so relatable to so many. And so it was just like everybody throwing in their superpowers and their skill sets. Um, and, the, you know, that's why it's a little hard to define what Welcome to Chinatown <laughs> is. It's a little confusing sometimes, but um, it, it's because, you know, we really wanted to take what we know and augment it into the small business setting. Um, and that was the other th- important thing for us too, is to make sure that, you know, being new to this nonprofit game, 
Um, we never wanted to come in and tell a business owner what to do. We wanted to partner with them and like make decisions together um, where it best fits their business and their needs. Because at the end of the day, they know their business the best. We're just here to help support that mm-hmm. and you know, spark conversations about new things to try or things that they can opt into. Um, that was like really core is we didn't want to ever make it seem like it was more work for them to do on top of everything they're already going through. So we, it, we wanted to make it as simple as like you can opt into this or that or don't and we'll find other ways to help you if you, if you want that help. From feeling powerless to taking action and then building a coalition of, of folks that felt the same way and wanted to do something. But what, I mean, with no experience, uh, except your professional experience and and just what you know so far being here in New York and wanting to be wanting to give back to the community during this tough time what are some additional challenges that, that you had to face that were totally unexpected so when Vic and I were first figuring out what to do like what was the first th- initiative we wanted to do we tried to launch this e-gift card platform and you know like a lot of people were doing that at that time buy a gift card from your favorite restaurant, um, you know, use it for takeout delivery or use it when they're reopened. That quickly failed. <laughs> like, Why do you think that is? <laughs> the first, because nobody knew who we were. There was like no trust element. And so that's, yeah. that was like the so secret get, I think getting the businesses to actually because trust us. You said you just yeah. started in February of 2020. Oh, March of yeah, 2020. March yeah, of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've only been around for nine months. Yeah. And in nine months you raised the close to half a million yeah. yeah so how did you where was that leap where people started recognizing and then uh, i guess started looking at you like yeah. okay you know what um you guys are seem like the gold standard right now <laughs> i think, I, I think <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> this nonprofit. what's Agent going on proud yeah. everywhere um, <laughs> i would say i think it was because of feed our heroes and we were getting them this consistent re- source of revenue right mm-hmm. and we were kind of taking out the middleman we were placing the orders, we were picking them up directly, and we were distributing to the hospitals, and they came to trust us that we would, you know, actually execute on this. Yeah. And we we really committed to financial transparency as well on the GoFundMe. Um, because for Feed Our Heroes, we were relying on donations from the community uh, in order to buy these meals and deliver to the hospitals. And every week we would release where, exactly which restaurants were getting the money, and exactly which portion of it was going to go into the business and which one was being spent on, let's say, delivery costs. And so I think over time, that went on for four or five months, mm-hmm. I think over time they really started to, to like trust us yeah. in that and making sure, and, and Vic and Jen, some of these businesses are cash only. So they would yeah. actually walk around to these businesses and you know make sure they settled up every week. Um, and so there was a lot of dedication and commitment. And, and I think to go back to one of your original questions is what was the challenges, I think, we both still have full-time jobs. Every, all yeah. the volunteers have full-time jobs. Like no, no one's doing this as like their primary anything. And so one of the challenges is making sure that I think they saw how hard everyone was working to, to execute on this program. And I think that's where that trust was building up from and seeing the dedication. How did you get the right pieces? Because obviously to be that successful in such a short amount of time and to build the trust in a community that's not known to trust easily yeah how, how did you what did you look for in, in your team when you were constructing it or was it just hey i have a group of friends and and you have a group of friends it was it was it that and you just got super lucky that 
you got a dope circle <laughs> <laughs> or or did you actually look at some people go no you have this superpower you'd be great here you would be great here like how did that fall into place it was a little bit of both i would say um so through a lot of our day jobs there's employee resource groups um which are kind of like employee driven communities oftentimes based on a commonality. So for example, um, Vic, she co-leads the Asian affinity group at Estee Lauder. Um, I co-lead a, an ERG called Formation, which is for employees who identify as people of color. And so you have this entire ERG network of ERG leads across other companies that all are kind of connected. And that's how we found Harry, our head of creative, because he was an ERG lead at his previous company. Um, so it was it was a little bit of that. But I would also say it was, you know, we, we went on Instagram. We're like, hey, anybody want to help us help Chinatown? <laughs> oh, that actually worked? Wait, yeah. You DM. You, you slid yeah, in people's slid DMs. You slid in DMs. DMs. Okay. We slid in DMs for good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Isn't it always good? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for the benefit of mankind. Okay. There we go. And there yeah. we go. Um, and, and yeah, so that, so that actually worked. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, we, we were also part of, the Asian Greek system in college, um, which allowed us to tap into that network too. And especially because a lot of, a lot of those volunteers also had their own connections to Chinatown. It just became very seamless in that sense. Um, in terms of like figuring out what we were going to do, I think the reason why Feed Our Heroes was also so successful in after identifying that challenge of like instilling trust was because of, you know, what we were talking about earlier about giving businesses something to opt into that's really easy for them to do. So in the case of Feed Our Heroes, all they were doing were preparing the meals as they normally would. And it became consistent um, orders. So, you know, as we're making those, you know, paying for the uh, invoices in person, picking up the food to go get it delivered, that's when you start building those relationships with the business owners and they start to open up to you a little bit more. Yeah, you had conversations with them. It wasn't just a yeah. exchange, right? Yeah. It was, you, you come in there, you tell them how many orders, have been there, but yeah. then you're also talking to them about how their week's been, what yeah. challenges they're facing. I think a large part is, is when you and Vic were doing that, a lot of the conversations that you had with them about the challenges they're facing, what they think they need help with, those were really the, mm-hmm. the, like the building blocks for yeah. those relationships. Which was such a contrast to what we tried to do with the e-gift card yeah. platform because <laughs> going door to door saying like, in my bro- very broken Cantonese, um, <laughs> do you want to sign up onto this e-gift card platform? I want to give you money. Like, <laughs> and they're like... No. Yeah. <laughs> it does. I mean, it seems like there was a technology component to it where people will be like, you know, we're talking about businesses that have been here for 40 years and they'll be like, oh, I don't know how to use, you know, whatever you're, yeah. <laughs> you're trying to create here. That was the other thing, too, was yeah. like the tech adoption was just too great. And, you know, this is this is something as simple as I don't want to get on Insta. If we suggested to maybe get on Instagram to engage with their audience, they're like, I don't want to do it. I don't know how to use it. And so, you know, in some cases we were even helping them just like do simple things like maintaining a website. But that's that's really when we were like, okay, let's stop with trying to modernize them when they're not ready. Again, acknowledging that they have other battles to face right now um, as we were. This is I don't know, like in 
April of this year. So really when people were starting to lock down at home and businesses were closing and like, let's just take a step back and try to make this as easy and seamless as possible for them. We'll take on some of the legwork with operations and managing the finances and everything like that from the donations that are coming in. And so that way it's a seamless, it's just like, you know, I don't want to call it a transaction because it's not just a transaction, but you know, um, putting in those meal orders or being able to cut the check at the end of the month through the merchandise program for some of the featured merchandise, things like that. And that's really where I think we found that sweet spot with the business owners of, okay, like we're not just two strangers, though we kind of were. Right. <laughs> yeah. But with so you learned intentions. a lot, yeah. not only about being a nonprofit, but about these other mom and pop shops yeah. in the community. Uh, what, what are some of those things? So, I mean, at the top line, it's, and obviously this comes to no surprise, but the numbers are real where businesses are facing up to 50 to 80% loss in revenue from pre-COVID times. Um, I think the thing that is unique to these business owners specifically is the connection that they build into the community and that realizing that if these businesses close down, the loss is irreversible. The herbal shops that, you know, are sprinkled all throughout the the neighborhood, our senior population relies on these businesses to stay open because that is what they are connected to. They grew up using herbal medicine, Eastern medicine practices. If that shop closes, where will they go? Or like who, you know, what, what herbalist, herbal specialist is going to be able to tell them, you know, what to pick. It's, it's stuff like that. And, you know, one of our recipients of the longevity fund, which is a grant program that we started, um, told us that if, you know, if Welcome Welcome to Chinatown didn't exist, that was money that, you know, he needed to help with the rent that he was behind on because obviously there's a lot of rent challenges as well um, without having proper bills in place to for rent protection or, you know, landlord protection even. Um, For others, it's, you know, they're using the funds to cover utilities, PPE that they they have had to build into their operations, things like that. Um, I think, you know, despite all the challenges, everybody still feels really resilient and feels like we will make it through. Yeah. I think one of the things also is that you, you, with these small businesses, as you start getting to know them, you find out that they're still truly, even though they're suffering, they wanted to give back. Like for instance, one of the businesses, I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember the name now, but he, we were, we pay the full price for meals for Feed Our Heroes. My food house. My food house, thank you. Um, It was for my food house. And again, we pay full price for all the meals. And he insisted on making us um, take a discount because he wanted to provide more meals to the frontline workers and the essential workers. And for me, that was like, that was pretty... Um, that such compassion, even though, because again, yeah. it's not like his business was doing great or anything like that. Like everyone else, he was suffering, but he insisted on on us getting more meals to these workers. And and so you see things like that that pick up um, from each business where they're just they're still giving, even though, and they're being so resilient. Is it, isn't it incredible? I find some of these stories amazing. Where yeah. during these tough times, these business owners, they're giving. They're finding ways to give back to the community when they barely have anything to give. And everything, just all the pressures and all the stuff that's going on, they're not looking for a handout. 
Yes. Yeah. They don't have their hands out looking to get something for free or looking yep. to take advantage of anything. They they just they just want an honest living and they want to help the community thrive. Yeah. And I think that's actually the spirit of Chinatown, right? Where, you know, everyone makes these stereotypes about Chinatown meals being cheap or whatnot, but it's low cost because they wanted to offer food to the community at a reasonable cost, right? It's not like they wanted to jack up their prices to make more profits. The, the heart of Chinatown was always that they wanted to fend for their community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, and you still see that to this day, and I, I think that's what makes the community like remarkable in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the last working class neighborhoods yep. in Manhattan, right? Right. And the average medium income is, it, it's, I want to say, I, I might say this incorrectly, I want to say it's somewhere around like 30,000, 40,000, which is, we're in Manhattan. That's yeah. crazy. So that's why you do see prices at that rate because you have to be able to serve the community that lives there. And you can't be, you know, paying 18 bucks for a meal or, you know, I selfishly right. sometimes get the sweet green salads for like $15. <laughs> right? Me too. <laughs> sometimes. That's like once yeah. in a month for me. I know, right? When I want to treat myself <laughs> to an overpriced salad. I, or I just go get some bok choy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, from the corner, yeah. from yeah. the corner um, food cart. Yeah, Vic, uh, Vic was cooking for herself once, and she she literally got three small pieces of bok choy. And it was like a dog. And we were. How do you buy three small pieces of bok choy? The, you know the they ve- shrink when you cook them, right? The, the vendor let her. Well, she was like, "I'm only feeding myself." And I was like, oh, you mean like three bushels or just no, three no, no, pieces? Just like three small pieces. Wow. <laughs> they do and shrink. We, that is why they shrink a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And me, I was rich, rich, and we were just looking at her like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but you know, she was still supporting the small, like the stalls on the yeah, side, yeah. so it's good, it's good. But I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy how much heart these business yeah. owners have despite the trying times. Mm-hmm. They are still continuing to, and it's not even just um, you know people that patron their business; it's also their employees. You know, like we were talking to um, Grace Young; she's a cookbook author. Um, she wrote this incredible piece at the beginning of the year called Chinatown Needs Your Love More Than Ever. And she did this tour around Chinatown with Jan Lee, um, who is, I think, like third generation um, uh, family that's grown up in Chinatown. And he's been a longtime advocate for the neighborhood. They went to a bunch of different places. Um, Anyway, so Grace has been doing a lot of incredible work trying to shed some light onto Chinatown, um, tapping into her network, too, of writers, authors, reporters, and things like that. Um, she, she was talking to a business who said that they only opened because they wanted to give their employees work, you know, because these employees have been out of jobs for, at this rate, like, what, six, seven months now. Yeah. And even though the owner, this is Picking Duck House, actually, I just remembered, even though the the owner he's in his 70s he's still in the kitchen cooking oh, wow. and trying to just like keep the doors open so that way his employees have um have a salary have 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 income coming in that's just, stuff like that's crazy to me it's like when he could probably at this rate in his 70s retire he still wants to give back to the people that have been loyal you know uh loyal employees for 15 20 years or so and it's it's, it's incredible. Do you, I mean, I, I know this during the summertime, it, it, it did get a little better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it looks like as of now, it looks like we're heading into another phase of lockdown mm-hmm. in certain areas. Do you think, 
Do you think we have enough to pull through by the time, I guess, the weather warms up again or whenever they decide to lift the bans? I think the businesses will have to get creative about how they do it. I, I think that it'll take all of our efforts. Um, I, but I think there is hope, right? Yeah. Um, and we're doing what we can. I mean, the Longevity Fund, I know we didn't speak too much about it yet, but that is kind of our biggest initiative right now. The goal is to give $5,000 microloans to um, 40 small businesses to help them meet rent um, and overhead costs. So, you know, th that money is what they need to do with it, whatever they think their most challenging need is. Um, and when we first set that goal, I think back in, I, I want to say August, maybe September, mm -hmm. um, 200,000 sounded like a lot, but we're happy to report we're 75% of the way there. Yeah. I think we're like 30 grand away from it. Um, and, and we've done some disbursements already. So, and you know, if the government ever steps up, some anything there w would help kind of get through, um, get through the winter months at least. But I, I think there's, I think there's hope, but I don't think there is, but it, it's going to take a lot. My, my concern is. I, th I think some will make it, but I'm afraid some, some won't. Some will not. Yeah, and we've yeah. seen yeah, there's some like, of that. Yeah, there's like over 100 Chinatown businesses gone, yeah. and yeah. they're not coming back. Permanently yeah. gone. Permanently yeah. gone. Not yeah. just, like, clo not just yeah. like closed for a little. We were actually just having this conversation the other day of what is success to us as an organization, what's also a failure to us as an organization. And it's if a, biz if a business closes is like the ultimate failure, especially if it was a business that we were um, supporting. And it's hard because, you know, we recognize that we we've been able to organically fundraise for you know these nine months however it requires so much more than just fundraising which is why we th that's why we actually started the longevity fund yep. because we didn't see any programs specific to um especially like minority communities minority businesses um especially um high immigrant populations too they just didn't know what resources were available to them or how to apply for them and things like PPP, when that came out, yeah. the the trickle down effect of it reaching these small business owners and how to apply, by the time they're aware of it and then even being able to figure out how to apply for it, those funds are already used up. Yeah. And that's why we started the longevity fund because we're like, we need these businesses need an easy way, like a, a in in a language that they can read and understand, um, with people who understand like what what they're looking for what their needs are how they contribute to the community um that's why we started the the, the grant and you know we're really um we've been able to hear so many stories about such a wide variety of businesses in chinatown and what they do to get back to the community um whether it's like imperial ballroom they're um, you know, they, they've been a dance ballroom studio for 30 years. The, the owner, he started it as, you know, as a love for ballroom dancing and dancing. Is that East Barway? Yeah yeah. 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 And their first customers, like their first students, um, thir from 30 years ago still go to them to this day, like 30 years later. Wow. And that's where they've like met friends and built community speaking in Chinese, like to be able to speak that in your native tongue and build community that like that's that's the spirit of Chinatown. And to not have that come back if, you know, they have to close their doors, it's again, it's like the irreversible loss. Yeah. And so it's definitely gonna I mean it's gonna continue, right? I mean, there's gonna be more businesses that close and I, I think we all recognize that and it's already yeah. devastating. But it, we I think What's great about this is that there's also been a lot of community support that's been coming on. So it's not just Welcome to Chinatown, right? Mm -hmm. There's other initiatives of Asian Americans that are really trying to help Chinatown and support Chinatown. Yeah. 
Um, and so hopefully we see a lot, you know, we see more pop up and we see more people trying to lend a hand. During this time, this is what I'm hearing constantly. It's the people. It's the people. It's, it's people like you guys. It's the community. Am I missing something? Because where are the elected officials? <laughs> Ooh, is that Ooh, the, the, the people that were elected to put in office, the, the so-called leaders, yep. the people that we look to yeah. um, and entrust and, and we listen to them while they were campaigning mm-hmm. and, and made their pitch on how they were going to help the community. And during the times like this, all I see is photo ops. Yep. Yep. And that's as far as I'm going to keep it real. Yeah. And, you know, Chinatown is never going to be able to get as much credit as it deserves for everything it has given to New York City. You know, it it is a major driver for tourism. Um, You know, if you think about pre-COVID times and the foot traffic that it brought in, um, it's a historical enclave for Chinese Americans, for Asian Americans. Um, it's, It's incredibly iconic. And so it's been interesting to see the response or lack thereof (laughs) right why do you Um, think that is do you think it's because they don't look at us as a minority group that when it comes to things like this we are considered like white people i I believe there was a state or even some companies when they look for diversity inclusion uh people that look like us are not a part of that Goal yep. in terms of diversity or inclusion. Well, you're women, so you would be a part of it. But, <laughs> but in general, if they're looking for diversity or people of color, yeah. generally there's uh, in, in in colleges, in high schools, or even locally around here, mm-hmm. and uh, places of work in certain states where they don't consider Asian Americans minorities, which yeah. blows my mind. Yeah. It so. Oh man, there's so much to unpack because it's there's so there's so many layers and like parts about this. I think on one, so I guess I'll start with one point where Asians being not seen as minorities. It, I you know I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how I want to like construct this, but um, I think it's because a little bit a lot of it in our culture too we don't like asking for help you know we don't like to get handouts and we don't like to lift up our voices amplify our own voices of the needs that we need so i think that's something that we're trying to change as an or as a welcome to chinatown organization where we help give a voice to the people who think that they don't have a voice I think it's, I always remember, you know, my growing up, my parents were like, just keep your head down, let your work speak for itself, like, respect your elders, don't challenge your elders. And I took that approach very seriously into my professional career, too. And I realized that that was actually a detriment to how I, you know, climbed up the ladder, whatever you want to call that, at work, where I really did have to change my mentality of, I should speak up and I shouldn't be the, you know, the stereotype that is imposed on Asian women of being quiet and submissive. So that was really empowering for myself as an Asian American woman. Um, and, and that's why I, th- that's, I use that and translated that into the work that I do and what I contribute to for Welcome to Chinatown because we find so many Asian American or Asian business owners who are like me, who are like, let me, j- let me, let me just keep my head down and work and I'm sure I'll pull through. But we actually should be, we shouldn't, 
let our pride get in the way of asking for help. So I think that's one thing. The other thing about, you know, Asians not being seen as minorities uh, is complex, right? Because we've, I, I think we as an organization, for myself specifically, have also been reflecting about allyship in the context of Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I, I work at a tech company and tech, the tech world has its own set of problems about representation, especially for Black, Latinx, or Hispanic, or Indigenous employees. And so at the same time, you know, I recognize my own set of privileges as being Asian. Um, and I think, that, you know, that's where it, I think like for Asian Americans, we have different sets of needs and challenges that are different that we can still set aside and be active allies for um, black communities, for Latinx communities, indigenous communities. So, you know, it, it, it's, there's so many layers to it. I don't think there's like a one size fit all answer and I'm probably rambling at this. No, point. I think <laughs> just, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to oversimplify, but just look at history, right? Yeah. Look at history where a, a Ch- Chinese Americans were back in the 1800s, 1900s. Mm-hmm. We were lynched. Yeah. We were Chinatowns were destroyed. Chinatown communities were destroyed, you know, by Irish immigrants because the powers that be, yeah. you know, didn't have enough um, funds to to uh, hire. Uh, Irish immigrants for for work, mm-hmm. and so they they went with the cheaper option, mm-hmm. the Chinese laborers. Mm-hmm. So, and don't forget about the um, the civil rights movement. Yeah, Chinese Ch- Chinese, Chinese Asians, yeah. Chinese Exclusion Act. Chinese people were part of the civil rights movement as well. People forget that. Yeah, and I think when when they say like when people have a judgment and say because uh, the judgment and say like oh um, using this term white adjacent right. Mm-hmm. And Chinese are not POCs. Yeah. Well, just look at history. Yeah. It's it's been there. It's there. It's written down. Yeah. You just have to look. That's the thing is like, are we being ignored? Yes, we definitely are. And I I don't know why. I I, I wish I, I knew why. I think it's because of just like the rhetoric that has followed us all the way through throughout history. That's why I feel more empowered today to use my voice, use whatever platform I may have to speak of what has actually happened in history and let it be known. We spent far too long doing ourselves, I think, a disservice of not speaking up more about the things that we have been through as, as Asian Americans. And I think that's, it's been really inspiring actually to see a lot of, like when we're going back to your original question, Will, about like the people who are, you know, stepping up and stepping in. I've seen more people, more Asian Americans today who are really trying to elevate that narrative of what it means to be Asian in America. But I think, and going back to your original question about kind of why aren't, where are elected officials? And, and sometimes I'm curious, is is it because they're not making enough noise? Like, do they, are they not, do they not have the right networks in the right places to, to make the, you know what I mean? Like, is there no one important that they're vying for? And I'm, 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 it's a great question. Like that, I wish I knew the answer to, too. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, are they out of creative ideas? Like, do they not know what to do? And, and I think this is where, the, the people that are rising up, they're, they're getting creative, right? And they're they're taking it upon themselves to do stuff. And I wonder if that our elected officials are just missing that that sense of um, motivation, I guess I would say, or just making more noise because I, I think that's they're staying quiet. Yeah. And you know, whoever they report to, they're they're just not making enough noise and, and being impactful when, when they should be. You're absolutely right in the sense of there's just so many layers to it. But part one. We do have to speak up. Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, if you want to be heard, you need in America, at least on this side of the world, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, yep, right? Yep. And I, I guess in the other side of the world, the nail that sticks out gets the hammer. I mean, you, we've all heard of that before. As far as the elected officials go, I think one is: Does that community's vote matter? Will they swing the numbers? Mm-hmm. What impact? will this community have on me? And if the Chinatown community makes up a small percentage of those numbers, then I'm not going to focus on the little fish. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at my whales. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to focus on my big communities. I'm going to put, that's where I'm going to focus my time and energy because those are the communities that number one are probably much louder. And if we don't do what we say, they're going to lash us and go yeah. crazy on social media on us. And we don't want that problem. Yeah. And, and those ratings to go down. So we're going to focus on this community. Yeah. And I think when it comes down to it, I think that's it. I think that's really it. So I think they're going to think Chinatown is going to be Chinatown. It's these they'll figure it out. They'll be all right. And I think there's this blind optimism from where they stand when they look at us when they're 10 feet mm-hmm. above or wherever in you know in the ivory tower and they're looking at Chinatown i think they're they just they're just so disconnected from it and and because of that it makes it hard for them to empathize and engage um, th- these problems to them when they're looking at a macro solution and they may look at Chinatown as perhaps insignificant yeah a micro problem yeah and and that's why man i wish i knew this sooner how much i should have been paying more attention to local politics Mm. and voting in local elections i only realized that through welcome to chinatown the work we've been doing because we realized that there's a um there there is just so much more that can come when you have the right leaders in in place and that's you know Vic, she she was a poll worker on election day, and she said it was such an incredible thing to see. So many first-time Asian voters in their, you know, like mid-40s, 50s going out to vote because they recognize, like, okay, like, nobody's been paying attention to Chinatown. I'm going to use my voice by my vote to get some attention. And she says it was incredible. She got, like, she was very emotional about it because... And, and I got emotional about it, too, because she's like, these are people that are, you know, like my mom, my dad, their age, my grandmother, who she was um, very close with growing up and, you know, recognizing it like to what you were saying, that it, it was a forgotten community or it has been a community that's been left behind. And, you know, now is ha- now is the time to show up. It is. I, I think that's a it's a tough reality that I feel not enough of our youth understand. Yeah. That's, I mean, their focus is elsewhere. And, TikTok. And, <laughs> and perhaps they may... Hey, they're catchy snippets. Okay. <laughs> they, oh, they may not feel like their their uh, future is in this community. Yeah. You know, they think maybe they're still here because of, the, uh, you know, their family's here, but eventually they'll be moving on, going somewhere else. And, and they, but I what I will say is that they will realize how important uh, Chinatown is and, and uh, for their own personal identity. 
for every single one of those, whether they're from Chinatown or not. Yeah. If they have come across here, if they live in New York, if they live in a city, and they are Asians, mm-hmm. it means something. It, 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 and it does connect you somehow to, to your roots and your people. I think just from the food, from the culture, from the just language. The it's, language. Like, yeah, it's like a piece of home. Yeah, you know it's a I mean? piece of home. And you get to see not only just Chinese people. I mean, there's Vietnamese, yeah. there's Korean, there's Thai. I mean, it's all across China. You meet all sorts of different people. And the diversity within this micro community is huge. Mm-hmm. And to just let history or this virus go down i mean people we're going to remember this yeah. we're, we're going to remember who did what and we're going to learn a lot and adapt from this and when voting season comes when our numbers come up this will be in history and, and we live in a digital age everything's being recorded mm-hmm. so and we're young you know folks like us so when these young leaders come up and they and they look to learn about the history and they look to on whom they want to support mm-hmm. we'll be able to catalog this and say okay we'll need this we'll need that but not this yeah. and not that yeah and you that's a, and that's a great i mean it's one of the silver linings of this pandemic is really seeing because chinatown was doing fine going about its merry way essentially before this pandemic hit right and even across the country and then what you realize is when things like this happen who is there leading right and now and we're now we're finding that there was there is no one leading and so i think that's kind of woken people up and that and i I take that as a silver lining here and even myself you know like just making sure that we stay informed it's not just voting every four years it's it's voting for the local leaders Mm -hmm. um and and it's taken this pandemic to realize that the you know that space up top even it was it was occupied by somebody but was it the right person and that's really shown their true colors in in this pandemic right yeah. Right. And it's across the United yeah, States. It's not just, it's not just yep. New York City, yep. Chinatown. Yep. It is any Asian community throughout. And it's not even in the United States, actually. It's much bigger than that. It's yep. throughout the world. Yep. Yeah. If you've been paying attention, I mean, you see things happen in Australia. You see injustice yeah. happen in the UK. Uh, you see things going on in Canada. I mean, just vicious things done to Asian Americans who are innocent. They're just walking. Yep. And, and it's... And it's our elders that, you know, it's, it's folks that are our parents' age that tends to get most of these aggressive um, racist uh, acts yeah, against acts, them. Yeah. Well, they're the most defenseless, right? Like, that's, and that's, that's why it's, it's, and it's heartbreaking to see and hear all those stories that yeah. came up. I, um, I remember, like, feeling so scared and worried for my mom and my dad, but especially my mom because she, you, you know, is usually doing the grocery shopping by herself. Yeah. Um, and when all those stories were coming out about helpless, you know, o- older Asian women in, you know, their 60s, 70s, 80s being attacked, I just, like, I immediately think of my mom and I'm like, what if that happened to her? And especially, you know, she's down in Texas. I'm, I'm here in New York. I felt so helpless. And I don't want, you know, she she's feeling antsy right now having been stuck home throughout the pandemic. And so she wants to go out to, you know, do her grocery shopping and everything. But I just feel so nervous every time she steps out because you just don't know what might happen. And, you know, thank God we went through this election cycle and have a new incoming <laughs> president who will take away, who will not encourage, inter, in, encourage or entertain any type of attack or attacking rhetoric that, 
Trump has been instilling, and it's it it's so crazy that that was allowed. <laughs> like that that this is like the four years that we've been dealing with. Um, hopefully, that means some positive change is coming. I am hopeful for that, but I, it I don't know if that. I mean, having a president is not going to make the racism yeah. go away. Yeah, hundred percent true. It it may help reduce or to encourage or empower some of these folks, mm-hmm. but they're still there in the shadows. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're, they could be our colleagues, our coworkers and our neighbors Yeah, or someone that we're just sitting next to. Right. You know, and, and, and that's worrisome and troublesome in the, in the year, you know, that we're in. It, it, it really is troublesome when, I mean, where do we get off? I understand the hate, but where do we get off attacking children? Mm elders mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. like what what do we do that like even even the worst criminals mm-hmm. you know it, you know the, the the famous criminals you could name them all they you know they had this thing women and children off limits and old people yeah yep. leave them alone yeah and and these people are targeting there was a code them. back these these yeah there, there's no code these guys are just it's just so cowardly it drives me absolutely like this is one of the 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 sensitive topics for me it's it just drives me i have no words for it It just i get so emotionally disturbed about i mean if i hated someone i would talk to them directly Mm -hmm. i would address my issue with them directly yeah that's that's the other thing too is why are you doing to somebody you don't know (laughs) I, i just don't understand that level of hate i don't want to understand it yeah and i don't want to you know, I, I, but I want it to stop. Yeah. And it needs to stop. And how do we stop it? We have to speak up and we have to fight back. Yeah. We have to. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's one of those things where if a bully is constantly taking your lunch money, if, if you, if you allow it, they're, then you're enabling them to do it every day and they're just going to get more powerful. Mm-hmm. I think once you stomp them and, and you stop them, it, it's just, that's, you know, yeah. we have to set an example throughout. We have to change the narrative that we were taught growing up mm-hmm. to just put our heads down, do the work, work harder than everyone else, mm-hmm. and and don't worry if someone's bothering you. Just keep going. Yeah. The issue is, is it's like these people are they're going after people who can't defend themselves. I mean, yeah. we're talking about like us, like younger people. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stand we'll up. up. <laughs> we'll step up and we'll, t- you know, we'll, we'll yep. definitely stop it from, from you know, spreading in, in, in the situation if it happened to us. But it, it's not happening to, to people like us. It's happening yeah. to yeah. mostly well, elderly it, people. If it is happening to people like us, they got like five, six, seven of them against one person. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's straight coward stuff. Mm-hmm. It is straight coward stuff. It is, yeah, there's, there's no other way to put it. I mean, they, they, it's like, oh, I got, you know, 10 of my boys with me and I'm just going to, even though I don't know you, I'm just going to jump you just for the, for shits and giggles. You know, it's, it's, uh, and the younger generation has been working out, you know, hardcore (laughs) doing the the squats and everything. It's all those IG fitness influencers doing the influence. No, but you know, all those Peloton riders, (laughs) (laughs) not, not to like go on a complete tangent, but kind of going back to this the like asian american experience especially um like asian males and the conversation about asian masculinity 
that's like a whole other thing too about like why are you jumping this asian dude just like you think that they're soft no mm-hmm. they're not <laughs> yeah. um and and so that's why kind of you know going back to our original conversation about who are the people showing up and who are the people that are coming out to protect chinatown there's mm-hmm. like you know those self-organized groups like the I chinatown groups, yeah, yeah chinatown block walk and yeah just trying to diffuse situations to protect especially like our senior population right you know it's 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 great that people are looking out for each other um and i think that's where some of that hope does come from about why chinatown is going to be able to weather through this storm um because you just have people from all walks of life who are coming out to lend a hand to one another and I, i think it goes back to your original statement earlier about like who's showing up during this pandemic right and who it, what you say now kind of gets recorded and it'll be remembered. Mm-hmm. And so I think the people now that are stepping up to help Chinatown, those are the people that you know would step up against those kind of racist attacks or xenophobia. And then those, those people staying quiet are the ones you kind of have to ask, like, will they? Like, do you know for sure that if something like that were to happen, they would actually speak up or will they stay quiet like they, they historically have been? So Make be- sure to go vote in your local <laughs> elections, people. It shouldn't be like that. My, my point is that it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. We, yeah. we shouldn't just depend on Asian Americans' high level productivity. Yeah our strong work ethic, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, yep. right. in order to survive, right? It, it, where other communities get an assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just don't get that. I, I, I just don't understand how you, we are minorities as well. We, we are, that's a fact. I'm, that's not even up for debate. Yeah. And how this person gets to limp into this college with an 80 and this person with a 90 can't. Yeah. When something happens against an Asian American we can't even get a hate crime group. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And even when they're, I think, you know, the NYPD ended up creating that anti-Asian hate task force. But right. it's been a little bit of time since I looked at how they organized it. But were those even really serving the right needs? I don't think so. It's a volunteer group. We yeah. had Sergeant Steve Lee and uh, on the podcast. And he said that it is just a volunteer group mm. they do not have the same resources as other crime right. units so it's like not taking it are seriously? we not lining the right pockets you think i wonder if that's any you know like i mean funding or, funding or, gets politicians or we're just not the political capital we're just, yeah we that's don't what have I'm political saying. capital i think that's that's i, I wonder we if don't that's also we like, don't have our mlk we don't have you know we just don't have any of we don't have our Al sharpton, sharpton or yeah. i mean <laughs> I don't know if that's but a good or bad listen, thing, but here, here's the thing, though, is that like you know we don't have those like keystone leaders that we can say like defined in history has changed the movement for Asian Americans. That's why I feel you know I don't see myself as an activist, um, but I see myself. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> they joke because they're like, "No, you should." I was like, no. "I don't know." Like having the word activist feels. I don't know, but feels like I'm putting myself on a pedestal that does not exist. But anyway, um, I think like it's this is an exciting moment for Asian Americans because we are realizing that we don't have that MLK of our history books. We can be that MLK of our history books for Asian Americans. And so I think that's why it's also really important that we, you know, we make sure we're represented in different industries, in different sectors 
Hopefully there are more Asian American politicians. That's why like Andrew Yang running for president was so inspiring because even though there were policies that I agreed with and disagreed with, it was a fact that I saw somebody from a community that I can relate to be on a national stage. Incredible. And hold his own. He may run for mayor of New York City. Man, that would be pretty fun. Is that legit? Yeah, did he? Like, did he? Legit? I know. I was like, no, are we dropping to you right now? Because, <laughs> because I've heard. I've heard. I heard. Uh, like there's months rumors. ago. Yeah. There's rumors, but there's been uh, some, some clues. Serious, ooh. I don't. I don't think he's in Biden's cabinet. Right. Right. Yeah. So Which so he's available. He's available. available. That's right. Get some free time. His status is open. <laughs> I also heard that single Bloomberg would back. Andrew Yang, if he did put his hat into the ring, mm. which could also be really interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I don't know if Andrew Yang's that cat. I mean, I do appreciate in, in terms of putting him on the MLK. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Discussion. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't think. That. I just. Well, I mean, he's not an at first. At first, <laughs> exactly. At first, I was thinking he may be mm-hmm. because the way he was speaking and. Yeah. But then with this whole coronavirus thing and just the direction that he took, I'm not yeah, saying it's he, bad. Yeah, well, but I don't know that Washington, it was in Washington Post, right? He wrote that op-ed that he got some shit for. Oh, yeah, that was a while ago, though. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, the direction that he took, it just, I'm like, all right, that's not MLK. Yeah. That's Andrew Yang, and that's, yeah. you know, that's fair. I mean, he, he doesn't have to be MLK. He could be Andrew Yang, and it's all good. Yeah. But yeah. at least we're seeing some Asians yeah. in getting political. Right. Yes. And building yeah. that political capital for us. And, and so, you know, whether or not we agree with his policies, it's a matter of, hey, at least there's someone doing it. And at, yeah. at least it's on a national stage, like Jen said. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's it's funny because um, I, you know, in, in my household, so I have two older brothers. One took what I guess you would call the pretty traditional Asian route stem job <laughs> lawyer lawyer <laughs> I was gonna say doctor or engineer. <laughs> yeah. yeah I was not thinking about lawyer <laughs> I was thinking engineer but actually yeah I guess you should throw engineer in there but then my other brother he's a chef and I remember when he told my parents that he wanted to go to culinary school and my mom like was like what the hell like <laughs> uh, he's a James Beard award, but right? now he's a James Beard award yeah. winning chef in, in true Asian minor really it, yeah <laughs> true Asian man he really overachieved did I honor you mother <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he said what's the James Beard award so the James it's Beard it's like the Grammys of the of, of the culinary yeah. world mm. yeah, yeah. Wow. So he's, a big, he's been on like shows yeah. with like David Chang and stuff before so I think they're homies yeah I think they're homies understanding is that Friends. Yeah, David Chang, he won a million dollars. He won a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Southern Smoke. Yeah, Southern Smoke. Um, they do incredible work. Uh, it was started by this chef in Houston, where I'm from, Chris Shepard, who has been, um, you know, longtime advocate for the culinary scene in Houston. In Houston, that's probably not the first thing you think of is the food, but our food is incredible in Houston. I do. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've heard food. good yeah. stuff about Houston. <laughs> well, it took a long time for us to get that, you know, that clout. Um, I say us. I haven't lived there in like 15 years. <laughs> no, you still are. Okay. Okay. No, you have roots there. Yeah, you're born roots. and raised. Yeah. I still allowed. consider you a Texan, you, right? I, I do. Yeah. yeah. Definitely I, I like there. have a lot of inner battles about am I a New Yorker? Or am I a Texan? Well, can't why you can you be both? Yeah. Can I be both? Yes. You, yes. you could have a dual passport. Yeah. Excellent. I, think you're right. I know what happens if Texas. <laughs> <laughs> New, York will, New York will keep you. <laughs> Says the other transplant. I know, right? But, um, yeah, yeah. So, so Chris Shepard he started this nonprofit called Southern Smoke, um, 
Originally, it started as a way to help um, cover medical expenses for um, somebody who worked in the hospitality industry in Houston who, you know, they I think they got into a pretty bad accident. But, you know, working in hospitality to cover the medical bills is, is a big challenge. And so the community pulled together to help fundraise. Today, it has expanded into um, an emergency relief fund for uh, restaurant hospitality workers who've been laid off because of COVID. So David Chang was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He was the first celebrity to win the million bucks and he donated it to Southern Smoke. So pretty, pretty cool. And I mean, like, you know, that, that was cool to see an Asian dude win Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and be the only celebrity. Maybe this is where the stereotype goes. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, am I overdoing Thanks, it? Did I say it again? <laughs> Did I bring honor, mother? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it's so cool to see, um, you know, representation from that perspective. And I know he's kind of like at this level level of celebrity, you know, but he is bringing visibility into Asian cuisine, um, which is important. And Southern Smoke's cause is great, right? Because it's for the employees of the restaurant. Yeah. It's not even... because especially this pandemic has displaced a lot of workers there. So it's mm-hmm. it's a great cause and to get visibility into that issue. Yeah. Um, I think that was a, a yeah. great thing he did. They're they're doing incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, so, you know, uh, going back to the topic about like representation, um, I think that's actually kind of what powers a lot of the momentum for, for myself. I think it is the same for Vic. Is like, you know, Asian American women trying to use our um you know our experiences and our professional backgrounds and um trying to contribute back to the community it has been very very empowering to go through this experience for myself to understand my identity um we joke we jokingly say like we've never felt more asian before (laughs) in in a good way in In a a good way way. in a great way yeah in a great way (laughs) yeah that's beautiful yeah that's beautiful i mean with with all of this, I mean, you guys may not be on a lot of folks' radar still. And yeah, that's very possible, yeah. I mean, you guys are still very new. You haven't yeah, even been old, doing yeah. this for a year yet. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine, uh, as with time goes by, we see exponential gains uh, to your cause. Yeah. And I know that if you built this much traction in such a short amount of time, I can't, you know, I, I see great things ahead. And... Um, I, I want people to know that you can make a difference. You guys are a perfect example of that. Thank you. How you just started something where you felt helpless. I think there's so many of us that, that and I'm one of them. I've, I've, I've gone through this in my head like, I'm only one person. What can I do? Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've played that in my head and, I, and then I get into this position where I'm having this inner dialogue stripping away of my power. And... This is what I want people to know is that you are very powerful. Yeah. There and and us together as a community, I mean, we may be small in their minds, but us if we band together as a community, we are extremely powerful. Yeah. And if we raise our voices, we can be heard. That's how it starts. It's yeah. that one person that says, "No. You know what? I am one person and I can make that difference." Yeah. We have to change the way we speak to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. you got to be the spark. Yeah, I mean, the imposter syndrome does feel so real. So a lot of times, admittedly, but when you can see the, you know, now we're seeing, we're starting to see a lot of the outcomes of what we've been working on for the last, you know, several months. And that's when you can like take a step back and say, oh shit, I did this. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then when you start, like, I mean, we were talking about what doing kind of an annual report to kind of talk about how many businesses have been impacted. Yeah. But, but but those numbers are nice. But then when you actually talk to the businesses, yeah. I think that's oh, that's the best part. I think that's mm. the most rewarding part is just hearing what the businesses are saying. Yeah. When we send them an email saying, you know, we've selected you for a grant, they're so grateful, right? And again, it's not people asking for a handout. Yeah. They deserve it. And it's just, uh, that's I think that's when you find it the yeah, most rewarding. That's, that's really the best part is yeah. like, it's not the the receiving of like the gratification of the work, but it's just knowing that you helped them in a way that was meaningful to them and that they can continue to do what they've been loving to do for all these years. Um, and, you know, I guess in a sort of selfish way, that's these are businesses that we also patronize ourselves. <laughs> and so it's like, these are the places that we love to go to. We want their doors to stay open. Like we get so excited when the merchandise comes out. We're like, shit, do we really need another tote bag? But it's just yes. so many tote bags. I have, I have, like, I have like, like 20. I have 20. <laughs> or like, do we need another mug? Yeah. It's just like, you know, these are the businesses that we patron. So it's tote it's, life it's, for life. <laughs> and you're also inspiring other other like causes too. I mean, like I'm participating in the Run for Chinatown yeah. tomorrow. And that was sparked by, you know, by what Lehman, you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, Leland, you know, he was a guest and he yep. said that he was very, you know, he was inspired by what you guys were doing and mm-hmm. he wanted to do something. He felt helpless as well. And he wanted to do something yeah. to help the community, but he didn't know what. Right. I mean, and, and he said, like, I love running. His superpower. And, and yeah, his superpower of running. Yeah, his superpower of running. He runs an eight mile minute. <sighs> that's, I, that's That's incredible. My he, mind was blown when he was doing that. Like. Let me tell you something. I, I was in a Chinese restaurant ordering <laughs> a cup of coffee and I hear this voice and I turn around and I was like, this voice is so familiar. And I turn around, it's Leland. Oh, and, wow. and this was, I think, in. At noon, and he basically he said, "I ran twenty miles. I ran all the way to the West Side Highway uptown, and I just came back to Chinatown to have lunch with my friend." Real, real casual. You look, (laughs) you look like you can run another twenty miles. So. I mean, like, I'm, did, you know. Didn't he run, like, 70 total? 61, 61 miles. miles. Yeah, so his goal for yeah. this one is it's 70, 70 miles. Okay. Yeah. And you're doing 20 miles of that with him? Is uh, that what your goal is? My goal is 20 miles, okay, but, uh, you know. You, you got, got your this. superpower, yeah, too, yeah, don't you? Worry. I've never ran a marathon. No. No. So I'm trying. I'm That's trying. about 15 miles better than me. <laughs> yeah. It's like That's 19 amazing. more miles it's all for you know it's all for a good cause and for yeah. the community so yeah. yeah i'll put my body in risk i don't care no it's, it's great that you guys are doing that but even like again things like that that's just like come right. out of the woodwork and it's so cool to see so we're at 45 volunteers now right? yeah and it's crazy to see everyone's different skill sets come together for this yeah like we got designers we got people who project manage we've got communications illustrators it's it's so cool to see outside of our day jobs yeah. right because um, I, I do sit in front of a computer most days and, you know, I engage with my clients. But it, it's so cool to see Harry put together an, something from his idea onto his computer and actually print a product in life. Right. Yeah. And seeing some of the stuff that you come up with when it comes to copy and doing marketing. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. All that stuff is cool. It's cool hey, so numbers cool. are important. No, too. Hey, I'm in the background. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, just leave me alone with my Excel sheet. I'll be happy. <laughs> you guys have great leadership qualities. I mean, now it makes sense to me. I'm like, how the hell did they gain so much momentum in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. and build such a great team of, of very capable people with real superpowers to contribute yeah. and just do it with extreme proficiency. And it's just... I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm really impressed. And that, you. you know, it started, it starts, you know, up top. Yeah. And it trickles all the way across and, 
and up and down. So that I mean, that's um, my hats off to you, to you <laughs> ladies. You guys are definitely setting the tone, setting the bar, and I, I can't wait to see what you guys do. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.